From training to performing, join our Big League Conversation. Welcome to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast with your host, Eric Cressy. Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm Eric Cressy, and we're excited for another great podcast. Uh, this is our 11th episode. Um, before we get to it, though, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Pedestal Footwear. There are shoes for everything from bowling to skiing, but when it comes to training indoors, uh, there's not really great options out there besides traditional sneakers, and that's where Pedestal Footwear comes in. They protect us from the elements, but at the same time, uh, give us some really great benefits on top of that. Um, so they've been featured men's health, women's health, the Huffington Post, MSNBC, and they've been trusted by a lot of the top strength coaches in the world. I personally wear pedestal footwear quite a bit when I deadlift and want to be really in contact with the ground and not worry about slipping. Um, they're on a mission to get athletes out of traditional sneakers and into pedestals to help mitigate injury and improve performance. They're durable enough to handle all of your training needs and they're silver lining uh, you know, to eliminate odor and bacteria. There's a patented grip design for extra traction. Um, you can throw them in your pocket and you know, really nice they're, they're made here in the usa um, pedestal does some great stuff in terms of customization wholesale options uh, on a personal level um brandon mckee the the founder is a, a former csp athlete who's now retired and crushing it in the entrepreneurial world and what we love to support good people who are out to you know solve problems and change the world so um, they were nice enough to set up a, a coupon code if you use ec20 you'll get 20 percent off at checkout um, that's pedestalfootwear.com again it's ec20 for 20% off at checkout at pedestalfootwear.com. That's P-E-D-E-S-T-A-L footwear.com. With that said, let's get to today's guest. Today's guest is a left-handed relief pitcher for the Baltimore Orioles. He was drafted in the sixth round by the Rangers in 2008. In high school, he was the state of Florida all-star in 2005. In his junior of college at Florida Gulf Coast University, he was unanimously selected as the Atlantic Sun Conference Pitcher of the Year. He made his major league debut with the Yankees in 2016 after parts of nine seasons in minor league baseball. Between 2016 and 2018, he didn't have an ERA over two, and he just finished his first offseason as a CSP athlete after going through lat surgery last season. Welcome, Richard Blyer. All right, everyone, we're here with Richard Blyer from the Baltimore Orioles. Richard, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Eric. Appreciate it. This is going to be a lot of fun. Um, so as I mentioned <laughs> in the intro, you're a, a new CSP guy. This is your first offseason with us. And, you know, I think what the, the, the coolest thing about you is that, you know, you, you get to know you as like a, a physical athlete and obviously what you do as a pitcher and all that stuff, too. Um, but I think taking it a step further, you get to interact with a lot of guys and you spent so much time in the minor leagues. You spent so much time with multiple organizations that you know, you've gotten to know a lot of different players and everybody I seem, seems to have like a Richard Blyer story, which makes it <laughs> super entertaining. So I think that's going to make this, um, an even better kind of interview as we work our way through. So, um, so just, just fill me a little bit. So obviously you were, you were drafted in the sixth round by the Rangers back in 2008. Um, and it was, it was a long go of it in the minor league. So give me yeah. a little, little kind of backstory on that history. And then I've got a couple quotes I want to read to you and get your take on. All right. Yeah. So 08 drafted, uh, short season. I went to short season 2008, did okay. Started the year in 2009 in low A and about five, six weeks into the season, I got moved up to, uh, to high A Bakersfield and, you know, things were looking up. I was, 
you know, pitching well. And then uh, I had, so I finished the year in, in 09 and high A. And then 2010, I started in double A in the rotation. It was like me and like four first round. It was Tanner Rourke was there. Uh, Tanner Shepers, um, Blake Bevan and Alexi Ogando were the starters. So it was like this huge prospect list of starters and then myself. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and then, um, and then, and then, Four years later, I was still in Frisco, uh, and then you know, with a, I had an in, I had a car accident in 2011. That that wasn't my fault for the record, and and I broke my wrist. And uh, and 12, I had an elbow, a little bit of an elbow thing that I missed half the year and went back to Double A. And then 13, um, I start actually started the year in Triple A. I'll never forget. We had a meeting the first day we were there, and I was on the Phantom DL to start the year. Uh, they like kind of just needed a place to put me. And the manager calls everybody over and he's like, ah, I know all you guys are really upset to be here. You know, wish you were in the big leagues and I'm sitting over there as happy as ever. I just spent four years in double A. I'm you know, pretty happy to get out of double A. And then, uh, and then I ended up getting sent down, you know, whatever, six weeks into the season there and back to double A. Um, and then, so after the 13 season, I ended up getting minor league rule five to the blue Jays. And then I thought I didn't even really know, you know, all I knew was about the major league rule five where you have to spend the whole year in the big leagues or they send you back. So I just assumed the minor league rule five was the same way. You had to spend the whole year in triple A or you got sent back. So all of camp I was in, in Toronto, I was walking around thinking I was going to triple A and uh, that's not the case at all. They just, <laughs> they pretty much just have you and they could put you anywhere. So back to double A, I went in 14 and then, um, 15, I signed as a minor league free agent with the Nationals. Um, started the year in AA, was up and down. I ended up probably spending about half the year in AA, half the year in AAA. And in 15, I had a really good year in 15. Uh, and then 16, I signed as a minor league free agent with a, my first big league camp invite with the Yankees and ended up getting to the big leagues uh, in May and then spent the majority of the year in the big leagues there. And then uh, DFA'd. In spring training of seventeen, when they when the Yankees signed Chris Carter, and uh, traded to the Orioles, and now I've been with the Orioles for the last couple of, few years here. So what's what's interesting is, uh, and these are the quotes I'm going to throw to you. So obviously you went up in 2016, spent a little little time in the show, and then got sent back down. And you know there were some pretty substantial changes that that you made to kind of your arsenal. And I'm going to read the first quote it's from Sam Miller at ESPN. He said, "Blyer has the best career ERA plus." plus in Major League history with a minimum of 95 innings. And then a few days later, John Mioli in the Baltimore Sun said, by one measurement, Richard Blyer is the best statistical pitcher to ever tow the Major League rubber. <laughs> he knows that by the relatively arbitrary measure of pitchers with 101 big league innings or more, his 242 ERA plus was the best. His raw ERA of 1.78 is the best in baseball history for that qualifier as well. So for a guy who spent literally a, a decade almost – in the right. minor leagues, part, parts of nine seasons. Um, what changed from being a career minor leaguer who was playing with house money just by getting to the big leagues to being a guy who's put up a sub-two ERA for the last you know three seasons with, with really unreal numbes? So, I mean, so I, when, I, when I got to the big leagues, I mean, obviously my pitch, it, like my sinker-cutter combo has been extremely effective um, the last couple of years in the big leagues, but I got to the big leagues without it. And in 2015, when I had like, I threw like 170 something innings, I had like a two, five ERA between the two levels. So, and I was just most, mostly fastball changeup. And I think, 
I think the I was so stubborn in my earlier years as a starter that, and I just was, it was so pounded into my head that, okay, base hit. All right, well, runner on first, double play ball still, you know? And then, uh, all right, what's my best ground ball pitch? My fastball down and away. So I throw a first pitch fastball. Oh, there's another hit, you know, or, or whatever. And I would just keep going for that. You know, I would just, I just kept pumping fastballs and in situations where I was trying to get double play balls and, and it, and I never really switched it up. I just, it was always, you know, so like it, it was crazy. I'd have like complete game shutouts on like 85 pitches where they would, I would have like 20 something ground outs. And then the next game I'd make the same exact pitches and they would, I'd give up nine runs where it would be the same results, ground balls just in the holes. And it would get, it'd be, you know, 11 hits on nine runs in three innings or something like that. So I think in 15, I just actually started mixing up my pitches. I don't know what took me, you know, and, um, I just I just would throw changeups and fastball counts, and I would get a lot weaker contact. And and even then, even in in, in fifteen, I would throw a hundred pitches, and I, I mean, I would throw probably the majority fastballs and and probably ten to like fifteen changeups a game and like three sliders. Uh, and and it's so so then and still, you know, I still use my fastball a lot in the big leagues, but it definitely it that kind of like was a precursor into into like. And then once I developed the cutter, it just it, it made things a lot easier. I mean, I like we talked about when I was there. It the cutter makes I could throw my fastball down the middle and 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 get a lot of outs that way. Honestly, absolutely. So you know, with the cutter, let's let's talk about that. I know we we've, we've kind of gotten some um, some cool interviews at the facility about it, and I'll I'll post those in the show notes for people who haven't actually seen them. But you know, let's talk about what goes into a good cutter because there's so many guys that throw them accidentally. Because, uh, right. you know, they don't have a high spin efficiency four seam or, you know, there are guys that just do it because they get into bad mechanical faults. Like yours is obviously very deliberate and you do it on purpose right. and, and you trust it a lot. So what goes into a good cutter for you? So, I, and I get asked that question a lot by teammates, you know, like, how do you throw your cutter? And I think the best thing, because for me, I've never been able to spin the ball well and, and spin a slider. And that's why I really don't, I don't really use it that often. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just not that good. And uh, <clears throat> so... I was always struggling to find a third pitch, something that went the other way. You know, all my, my fastballs and my changeups run away from righties and I needed something to come in. So, and you know, I really realized that I got really, it got exposed in, in my bat out. If, you know, if I struggled in the big leagues in 16, when I was first up. Uh, and so when I was warming up for a game in 16, when I got sent down to triple a, I was, I went back into the rotation there and I was warming up and I just knew that I needed to be able to, establish inside and pitch inside and get outs inside, not just, you know, throw in there. And so I just offset a fastball, um, very slightly to negate the run. Cause even my four seam has run and I don't, you know, I don't really want the, I don't want the ball. I want the ball to stay true or stay in, not really come back on the middle of the play. It's not really effective, you know, coming back into the barrel, uh, and, and it cut. And then I threw like 15 of them that game. And, uh, and then from there, I just kind of, I kind of built off that and, and, and I think like the aspect of the mindset, I, I should say the mindset of not trying to create break with a cutter, but just trying to throw a fastball that may or may not cut, but you know, it, it ha- helped me develop it into the pitch it is today because I never really, I never really threw at the intention of, of cutting. I just wanted to throw it, throw a straight ball. So I like, and, and a lot of guys want to just throw a cutter and then they'll throw it and it, and it's a hard, it's like a harder bad slider and mm-hmm. that's not really that's not really effective you you know once you once you have a dot on the pitch you know from the spin like a slider spin pitch it's it's more recognizable than you know a true cutter which is just 
a fastball that cuts and it you know for me it it came a little bit easier once I kind of once I kind of did that now with the with the cutter too like you you obviously see guys who you know throw a, an elite breaking ball and once they've learned one breaking ball they learn how to shape it you know a little bit differently so you know we watched a lot of like Corey Kluber over the years where the breaking ball will be right. 83 to 85 and then the, the cutter could be 87 all the way up to 91 when he's when he's really got the arm speed for a day do you, do you see guys that can shape a cutter differently um and make it a little bit more like slider-ish um if so is that something that you've played around with personally or is it is it the same thing pretty much every day every at bat um so I, I you know to just to i think that if i ever try and if i were to ever try and add and subtract movement from the pitch i think it would i would it would lose its effectiveness because then i'm you know worrying about the movement for me still when i throw it i'm just offsetting the grip and throwing a fastball into a righty mm-hmm. and you know if it if it stays straight that i'm still okay with it as long as it's a lo- if it's a located pitch and then uh you know if it cuts even better but uh, it's just, it's, I just, I think the only time I get, you get the, you know, if you really get on top of the ball, get on top of the pitch and, and you, and it goes down, you know, obviously like, I mean, I try and throw my cutter belt higher, higher every single time. And, uh, you know, if I get kind of my fingers on top a little bit more or whatever and and angle it down a little bit, it'll have that depth and it'll be more of a slider, a hard slider, which, uh, but that's just purely accidental, honestly. Do you think that a big part of you being able to, to pick the cutter up when the time was right was that you had spent all those years, you know, basically optimizing fastball command? Like you're not a guy who walks a ton of guys. Do you, and if so, is that something that young pitchers, you know, fastball command is a prerequisite to actually developing an elite cutter? Or do you think it, they can be treated independently? Um, I think for me, man, I was so stubborn coming up. I just, my my double-A pitching, I just saying, I had the same double-A pitching coach for you know, all those years when I was in Frisco and double A with the Rangers. And he's like, you have to pitch in. If you ever want to pitch in the big leagues, you have to pitch in. I just, I can't, I always would say, I just, I can't do it. You know, I just don't do it. I, I throw fastballs away and changeups away, you know, and I just don't pitch into righties. And so I think that, I think the fastball command, you know, once I started committing to actually throwing fastballs in and it's like, well, you know, if I can throw an arm side fastball, I could pretty much I can, it's a lot easier if you can command an arm side fastball for me to move the ball in as opposed to, you know, cause I feel like it's your body wants to rotate anyways, you know? So like to stay on line and to stay, to, to be able to stick an, a down and away fastball, like to a righty for me or down into a lefty is, is like one of the hardest pitches to throw overall once you master it you know they always say be able to throw down and away nine out of ten times and i think that like when i'm warming up if i'm throwing my fastballs down and away everything else works off of that that's a good point including my cutter where i know i know that my delivery is as good as it's going to be if i'm making that pitch uh you know continuously uh and then and then i kind of go off that with with all the other pitches that cutter too so i think they're 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 different but uh you know because it I don't know. Honestly, it's just, it's a lot easier for me to throw a cutter. I could, I know exactly where my hand needs to be to, to get the ball in the zone and to get it up and stuff like that. And it's, it's actually a really, it's my go-to pitch for a strike over my fastball, honestly. So it's, it's definitely, 
it's definitely come a long way. Absolutely. Now, like in, you know, it, it goes without saying you're, you know, in the age of, you know, guys throwing triple digits and, um, you know, putting up just elite velocity numbers, like you're not an elite velocity guy by major league standards, you know, you're, you know, fastball probably tops out around 91. Do you find yourself because of that, looking at scouting reports and the analytics available to you more to, to find hitters weaknesses, or is it much more along the lines of I pitch to my strengths, regardless of who's in in the box? It's definitely give and take. I do a lot of work with the scouting reports and I, I watch a lot of video on all the hitters mm-hmm. and I just like to see, you know, how they're doing, what they're hitting, what they're not hitting uh, overall. I, I like to find some guys that throw similar to me and how they got them out. You know, any information that is offered, you, you'd be a fool to not take advantage of it, you know? So I'll, I'll I, I'm, a, I'm welcome to all the information available and, and uh, you know, I take what I, I feel like I can use and I disregard what I don't think applies to me. But at the end of the day, you can have this whole plan for everyone and all that. And all of a sudden, you know, you know, these are major league hitters. So yeah. even if you make a pitch, they're still going to get a hit. But it, for me, I want to get guys out with my strengths and I, and I feel like, you know, I, I feel like to be a good major league pitcher, you have to be, you're, st- you're, you know, if a guy's a good down and away hitter uh you know you have to respect that but still if that's your pitch you just have to go with the fact that you're better than him in my opinion to a point you know like uh you know jd martinez hits about 600 on fastballs middle away i don't you know i'm not uh, i'm not trying to give out my secrets here but i'm probably not going to throw a middle away fastball you know And, and i don't think anybody really is on purpose because you know, he hits a home run pretty much every single time. So, you know, that kind of stuff you, you have to be aware of and, and know the situation as well. But uh, definitely, you definitely want to pitch your strengths. Yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift gears just a little bit. And I'll, I'll distinctly remember a conversation we had this offseason. And you told me that you considered yourself the most unlikely big leaguer of all time. So elaborate for me on what, what you meant with that. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't like, like you said, the as far as the game is now with the strikeouts and velocity and stuff, it's just, I'm just like the complete opposite of that. I don't strike guys out and I don't throw hard. So you just, when I'm, when I'm like trying to find comps of me in the big league, you know, comparable pitchers that have pitched against guy, I'm like, this is slim pickings. That's for sure. You know? So it's really, uh, and I remember in the minor leagues, I would always think like, man, who, who do I most compare to in the big leagues that pitches the same kind of way I do, throws as hard as I do? And then it would be like, oh, no, no one really. And I'm like, <laughs> that's probably not a good thing. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, like there's like, obvi- like I've, I use like Dallas Keuchel a lot for, because uh, he throws a cutter and, and a two seam and stuff. And, and so when I look at his videos and, and, and like CC kind of is a little, he uses a breaking ball more. Yeah. Sabathia, the but, newer you know, CC. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. The, the more, yeah, not the 95 plus CC, yeah, the 90 CC. So, yeah, you know, but yeah, I mean, I just, I was, it's funny because I was, I signed a minor league deal with the Nationals and then, you know, just, I'm like, man, I'm just not, I'm just never going to get to the big leagues. And I'll, and minor league free agency isn't, isn't terrible. You know, I could, you could make decent money once you get to minor league free agency, even if you have no big league time. And I was fully prepared to just, play out my days in the minor leagues and, and make decent money and work in the off season and just, you know, put off the real life, the real world. <laughs> so, so here's a good kind of building on that, right? So five organizations over the course of 11 seasons. So that's a, a, 
a ton of pitching coaches and managers um, with all different schools of thought. So, you know, we have a lot of like young coaches, college coaches, even pro coaches, strength coaches, you name it, um, you know, who are listening to this and want to help the, the athletes they train. What are some of the common traits of some of the coaches that have helped you the most? Um, you know, what have you liked over the years? What have you disliked along that path? You know, I think pitching <clears throat> and actually our pitching coach uh, here, Doug Brocale, has been has done a really good job about about this is like it to simplify it as much as possible. You know, direction and load are the two. I think if you have a, your directions online with home plate and you're, you have a good load, the rest of the stuff's going to work itself out, you know? And at the end of the day, pitching is an athletic movement. So it, it, you know, if you get so caught up, if you're on the mound competing in a game and you're worried about, Oh, well, I need to do this with my hands. And, and you know, you're worried about 40,000 different delivery things, then you, you lose track of making pitches where if, for me, you know, and it's funny because like when I throw bullpens in spring training, they're terrible because I'm thinking about every single delivery point I have. And then when I'm getting, when I'm in the game competing, I'm thinking about, okay, this, I need to make this pitch down and away. And, you know, I visualize all like the few pitches, you know, like the pitches that I remember, like that's the pitch and that's the delivery and it, and it just comes together. And, and that's when I'm at my best when I'm, you know, just thinking about executing pitches and not thinking about, make sure you get your arm here and do your, you know, do all this with your hands, all the deliver, all the mechanical stuff. So I think it's just, I think alignment and then just, and compete and be an athlete. What about things you haven't liked? What, what, looking back on the time you spent in those 11 years, you know, what, what were some of the things that actually set you on, on bad paths? Like, um, you know, is it coaches that are unyieldingly negative when you don't throw well? Um, you know, is it guys that have you standing on your feet for nine hours a day during spring training? What are the things that <laughs> looking back in time were, were things that were, you know, hindrances to your development? Yeah. I don't know. I think like when I first got in, when I first got into pro ball, like my first week there, like they were, uh, there was some guy, like some higher ups came in and tried to change like my whole delivery. And I just thought that it's like, I just got drafted for a reason. Like, let me at least pitch the way I pitch where well, you guys drafted me because I, of how I pitch. Don't try and change everything. So that was kind of like, you know, like, Hey, welcome, change everything. Like, okay, yeah. thanks. Um, but, but I think, I think I'm, I've done a good job of you know, taking the information in and trying it if it doesn't work, kind of pushing it right back out, honestly. So, you know, I don't, I don't, all the stuff, all the extra stuff we do in spring training and all that stuff is fine. I don't really mind it at all. I, you know, it, it's weird to me going to the field, throwing, running and leaving. So I, I, I like, I like being there. It's fun being around all the guys. And, and, uh, as long as there's a good group of people, it's, it, it's worth being there, uh, in terms of that. But, uh, I don't, you know, I can't really think of any like specific, things that you know they tried to move me on the rubber uh mm -hmm. years back and i understand the concept i'm on the first base side now which mm -hmm. i feel like creates a lot of deception especially for lefties since i yep. and especially since my arm slots a little lower you know kind of throwing behind them yep. and they tried to move me to the third base side just to uh to release the ball in the strike zone yeah. as opposed to throwing the ball from out of the strike zone back get, in the strike and zone. Was that, was that the before the cutter came along and it was a way yeah, to help you get like, to the this glove was side? Like, this yeah. was like 2000 a lot this is way back in you know when i was repeating I, I would say this was probably 11 or 12 or so when i was struggling I, I mean rightfully so i was getting rocked as a starter in double a there for a couple of years so there was something that needed to be changed i just knew that that wasn't it i think you know and, and i didn't i wasn't thrilled about that but 
to the pitching pitching coach's defense, it was like, you know, I yeah. wasn't getting any outs. I needed to try something different. Yeah, but, hind- hindsight yeah. is always twenty twenty. We can look right, at it exactly. years later and say that. All right, so here, here's the fun part. Parts of nine season in minor league baseball. Tell me a couple good stories. <laughs> when you think about your minor league experience of, you know, sleeping in closets and uh, long bus rides, what, what rings uh, a bell as being the most pronounced? There's a lot. You could imagine I have quite a bit of stories. Yeah. There's, there, I had to think about the PG-13 stories. <laughs> um, so... So I have, I have a few funny ones. Um, the, uh, so I'd say in 11, 2011 or 12 ish, maybe when I was in double a, but I, Steve Bouchelle was my manager for 09, 10, 11, 12 and 13. So I had him for a long time. He's now the Rangers bench coach. Mm -hmm. And he, so it was like, one of the years where it was like our third year together or something. I don't remember exactly what year. And my parents were in town and my parents are, are, um, definitely outgoing. So it was like, a, it was, this was in Texas, so it wasn't that cold, but in my mom's eyes, it was cold. So the game starts seven Oh five. It's about seven o'clock. She walks down to the dugout and I was on one end, the whole team, we had to be, the whole team had to be on the, on the line for the anthem. So everybody was in the dugout right before the anthem. Taps my reaches in the dugout, taps my manager on the shoulder and says, hi, I'm Richard's mom. Can you give him this jacket? It's a little cold out there. And so he turns around, says, uh, Richard, your mom brought this jacket for you. Please put it on. And that was pretty embarrassing. You can imagine. That's and then amazing. I think, my, I think uh, this is another parent's um, parent story. My dad, my, yeah, by far my biggest fan. He he's funny. He'll, he'll still text me. Uh, and he texts me before my spring training games. Don't, don't give judge anything good to hit. But, um, he, uh, because <laughs> that was we, the, that was the plan to give him something really good to hit right yeah exactly <laughs> i was planning on giving him something really good to hit but now that you said no i'm gonna i'm not going to <laughs> so one of those i think it might have been the same road trip honestly he, he's gonna probably be on at me for this but he a foul ball was hit to wherever he was he never sits down when i'm pitching he, he walks around he just paces the entire stadium he's a nervous wreck <laughs> it's hilarious so so a foul ball goes to wherever he was and, and I'm on the team. I can get him, you know, as many baseballs as he wants, but for whatever reason, he wants to run after this foul ball. And, uh, and I don't know. I heard that there might've been, he might've cut in front of a kid to get the ball. I don't, I don't really know. I didn't see it. I can't confirm. All I know is that the whole stadium was booing him until he gave up the ball to the kid. And I'm and, and this is after he probably told every single person, in the stands that he's my dad. So yeah, that was, that was a good time. That you was know, funny, it, it goes both ways. Cause we've, we've sat in friends and family like a lot over the years. And one of the lessons that I've learned is when I bring like a, a family member with me or even just a friend or something that's like, Hey, you know, when you're in the friends and family, like, kind of like act like you've been there before you know it's yeah. it's you don't want to be like oh whose whose son are you or whose parent are you or um you know start talking about all that stuff and you never want to like talk, yeah. talk smack about a player because you never know cause, exactly. cause right. grandma's, always... so your dad's like the opposite of it he reminds everybody that he's there with you yeah well that's why i'm happy he goes out and, and paces and stuff because you know if someone doesn't make a play behind me i can only imagine and that's like yeah you're sitting next to their entire family but uh so it, it uh but it, no, he's he's been extremely supportive. He could, yeah, it's he wanted he actually wanted to come in and uh, interview you before I went there. Just oh, I to love make it. Sure you were right for me. Have make been, make have sure I'm not a not a serial killer or anything like yeah. that. <laughs> it worked out okay. So here, here's a, a good segue. Um, one of the things that has blown me away, and this is something I'm actually uh, talking to Steve Cishek, and We're doing a, a podcast with him um, later today. But 
one of the things that blew me away is, is Steve is like the nicest guy on the planet. And when he was closing in Miami, like literally some of the stuff people would, I mean, he at one point saved like 33 consecutive games without blowing a save. And then, you know, you, a ground ball gets through and you blow a save and all of a sudden everybody on Twitter is, you know, right. got, got social media muscles. What's the funniest thing a fan has ever yelled at you or said to you on social media? Oh boy. <sighs> funniest thing. That's, I don't, so I don't have a Twitter because <laughs> for that reason, it's just no good. No, it's yeah. just, you know, for the little it does, that's good. It just mm-hmm. seems like it creates more problems for people and you know, that play baseball. So I don't really, I haven't really seen anything on Twitter, but I, I'd say, so in 2016 or no, in 17, I told you I got DFA'd and traded to the Orioles. Well, mm-hmm. the first day of spring training, I posted some picture on uh, Instagram about, glad to be back and some picture of me throwing a ball and you know with the yankees and then like that afternoon or or the next day i got dfa'd and there was like just comment after comment of like and you got released you suck see ya like you know just blasting me and i was like okay yeah you know oh god bless the internet right yeah for Uh, sure so we'll get back on track with this all right so last year uh middle of june 2013 and this is what ultimately led you to to csb is um you you tore your lat off the bone so people don't realize this is a this is a big deal like this this did not happen in baseball you know six or seven years ago until uh, i think jake peavy was the first one who ever did it and dr romeo who at the time was the white Sox team doctor really had to invent a surgery to reattach his lat um to the humerus and and i'm gonna throw a couple links like articles i've written on the topic um in some of the show notes and people can see it but you know lat strains and um you know of all different you know uh, you know, severities are, are becoming more and more common in baseball. Give me a little like backstory as to like the days leading up to it. And then, you know, the initial timeline on the surgery and, and kind of where you stand on all that stuff, because yeah. you started up with us, you know, basically right once the fall got going, you were, you were a couple months into your rehab. Um, we kind of worked with you throughout the off season to, to bring yeah. you back. So, yeah. So like you said, I got hurt in the middle of June. I was um, pitching a lot, uh, which, you know, whatever. So I went three days in a row, uh, day off pitch, day off pitch, day off pitch. And I got hurt that last game. So it was, I had just a big workload. I, you know, I had an, an elbow injury that didn't require surgery in 2012. And since then I haven't had anything. Um, and you know, fell fine and just thought, whatever, you know, this is the big leagues. So I'm not, you know, I'm, I'll pitch every day. And, uh, you know, I think I'm quoted as saying that actually. So it kind of, <laughs> it kind of backfired, but, uh, it, you know, I still feel the same way where, it, I mean, it, I don't know. I just feel like it's, it, it's this incredible thing to be pitching in the big leagues and that I would, I just want to do it as much as I can for as long as I can. And, uh, and you know, whether that's every day or uh, obviously I'll, I'll go for the years now, but as opposed to the days, but, um, with that being said, it, it I, I pitched a lot and then I, um, and, I finished, I came in against Boston at home for, to pick, to pitch against Devers and I went cutter, cutter, slider. And then I threw it, it was like one, two and threw a fastball and he grounded out. And I kind of felt something, something weird that I just figured maybe it was like a bad delivery pitch or something in my shoulder, not even in my lat. And then, uh, and, and I went out and did my warmups. I felt fine. And my, the first pitch of the next inning, I, you know, that that's when it, I, tore the tore the tendon and then um you know i had the surgery a few days later uh then i did my 
physical therapy stuff back home in plantation at Donner Sports Therapy. Uh, and that was just range of motion stuff. You know, that's like any other surgery it is. You kind of have to get, get your range of motion back. And then once it was time to do the strength training stuff, we, you know, it's funny because when I was like, like you said, it's an, it's kind of like a newer injury and, and PV had it. And then like you dealt with it with Syndergaard or, you know, and Syndergaard had, didn't had a, a, a less severe injury of it. Uh, so, so I, and you know, I know he goes there or whatever. So, um, when I was doing the research, I Googled like lat injury MLB, you know, just like, <laughs> I don't even know, like what, I don't know. I've never heard of it before. And I saw the video of him when he threw his pitch and he like did the same thing I did, not nearly as bad, but you know, like I was pretty dramatic. And then, um, but he kind of like grabbed under his arm and I was like, oh wow, that's kind of the same thing I did. And then obviously I got the MRI and they said the same, they said all the same stuff, but, and then you had a nice write up on, uh, on your website about, or, you know, you had a nice on the lat injury and all that stuff. And, and I was like, so that kind of, honestly, that's what sold me to, to, to you guys. And then I found out you were pretty local to me. So then we did, you know, we worked together for months all the way up until January. Uh, and as you know, and uh, it was, there was definitely ups and downs where, you know, I started throwing with you there. I did like, I did a lot of my throwing program there and it was, it was, it was tough, you know, where we had to change some things to, to get, to get the short, the cuff strength where it needed to be. And we did a lot of work to get it to get me. That's the hard part. And, you know, not, not to go off on a, on a tangent with it, but lats are tough because they're so important to the acceleration aspect of throwing. And I think what happens is you see guys, they come back and, you know, when that repair is still settling and they've already, you know, started their throwing program, they're, they're trying so hard to really generate velocity, but sometimes they can get into bad habits and, you know, generate a lot from the cuff instead of using, you know, those smaller muscles as a stabilization. So a lot of it's like finding your mechanics and, you know, syncing everything up. Um, what was the exact timeline for when you started throwing? Uh, when did it was mid June th- surgery. So, <clears throat> so I w- I think it was four months out. Yes, was throwing, and then and we took it kind of slow because yeah. they were they were planning it for spring training, yeah. not necessarily the timeline of the of the rehab. So, yeah. that that kind of that was nice. It, it gave me some time to it had some I had some flexibility in there, and then and then January whatever fifth or sixth. I went out to, I went to the Sarasota complex, uh, where our spring training is and, and, uh, and the trainers there kind of took over and, yeah. and, and Brian Ebel and, and his staff did a pretty good job with me there of, of getting me back on the mound and, yeah. and doing the mound progressions and then getting me into games. And, and even, even recently, my last, I didn't, I don't know if I, my last live BP before my first game in spring training, I topped out at 85 twice. Yeah. <laughs> and my average fastball was like 83, you know, on track, man, in the mm-hmm. stadium. And I was like, uh, this is okay. But then my first pitch in a game, you know, was like 88 or 89 or something like that. So I was like, all right, you know, that, that, made, that, that made me feel a lot better. Not that, you know, 89 is going to get it by guys, but, you know, at least it's back to what it was. So that yeah. was that was good. to, You know, I definitely was even nervous there all the way up until the very my very first game. Yeah. I think there are a Um, lot of guys that are like that historically, right? You know, they, they can't show off the, the big time numbers in like just bullpens or live BPs with nobody in the stands. Then you put, you know, 10,000 people in the stands for a spring training game and it starts to, to click for them. Right. So, um, so if, if you went to back in time and, uh, you know, this is kind of the lightning round we get to. So if you could go back in time and you could give advice to a teenage Richard Blyer, what would it be? Oh man. Well, I was, I'm embarrassed of myself how I was in high school. Honestly, I didn't, I was very immature. So I, you know, I, I wish that I would, 
Yeah, I just wish that I, I would go and tell myself college was great for me. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely got whipped into shape in college very fast. Because you were really so, undersized in high school, right? You were, you were. Yeah, I was small. I didn't grow till. Yeah, and even even when I grew, I was probably six foot one, maybe by my senior year, six foot six foot one. Mm-hmm. But I was, you know, one hundred and fifty pounds or something, if that, you know, real small. So it. But I was I went to a public school and I was the best on my team by a lot and uh, in terms of pitching at least and and so it, I really just kind of did whatever I wanted to do and and was very comfortable with where I was at even though I wasn't very good at all you know overall compared to the rest of the country and stuff so you know and I I'm thankful for the opportunity I got to even to go to college because I you know I felt like I I, I got a lot better in college but I was just a walk on. At, at a division two school at the time. So I wasn't, you know, I wasn't like the superstar at a high school by any means. And I, I would love to go back and tell myself to apply, you know, try, I didn't work out, you know, you know, I just, honestly, I just thought I was the, the best. And I, yeah, it was pretty embarrassing. I, and wound up sad. being an Atlantic sun conference pitcher of the year in your, in your right. junior year. Right. So there's, yep. there's a big change. What would you say the biggest change was in college? Like was just the understanding of work ethic and consistency and all that. Right. Structure yeah, you needed. Definitely. I, like I said, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I owe a lot to college and it, it was, I went to, I was in a great situation. I was able to pitch my freshman year, you know, where mm-hmm. had I went to a bigger school or whatever, I probably wouldn't have been. Um, and, uh, and then I was a Friday night starter my sophomore and junior year. Uh, and it was just, <clears throat> I worked out and ran. We ran a lot. You know how college is where yep. you, you, you know, it, like we would do the old, flush run after a start and it was like an hour and a half flush run or something it was insane <laughs> so it was but it was great you know it was great for me i needed i needed some some guidance and and some uh accountability and, and i definitely got it so it, it was and then and i learned how to pitch too you know i learned about a delivery and and feel you know for me for me the biggest biggest thing now and and then and in general in pitching is feel you know being able to make adjustments pitch by pitch not game by game Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I throw a bad pitch, I, I know, okay, I've done that a lot. I know exactly how that felt and I know what went wrong in my delivery and I know how to make that adjustment. And I know exactly where I need to be to get the ball back where it needs to be this next pitch, not, oh, let me look at video later and, and, oh, that's what it was next time I'll be better. So, um, you know, I kind of started learning that at, at that, at a young age in college where, you know, my pitching coach, Dan Roselle was, was really good about the delivery and teaching me the delivery and, and kind of getting more consistent and then i went to summer ball and i and uh that was that was really good for me too um not to ramble on but i played in the northwoods league the summer of my sophomore year and i didn't want to go they made me go and it was it was an awesome time and uh just the the extra competition and and the extra innings were were really great and and i remember my sophomore year i threw 80 innings i think i walked like 30 and hit like 15 or something like that and then, and I, my junior year, I think I threw 90 innings and walked like 10 or, you know, walked very few and hit very few. You know, I, I threw a lot more strikes my, my junior year. So it, so that was good too. Absolutely. So, and this is the continuation of the lightning round. So, and I'm going to ask this of every pitcher that comes on this. And I, I think we're going to get a lot of different answers. What's more important stuff or command? I mean, for me, command i feel like i don't have the stuff you know mm-hmm. if i can throw a bad slider located well it's going to work you know mm-hmm. and if i can if i can throw if i'm smart enough to know the situation mm-hmm. uh and know what the guy's trying to do and i can locate a bad fastball the worst you know if i'm if this 
if the situation, if I read the situation well, the worst they'll do is get a single or double. You know, for me, I, I like I, I just try and keep the ball in the park, and that's mm-hmm. my main goal when I pick what pitch I'm trying to throw. Like, what pitch is he least likely to hit a home run on? Yep. And you know, so I can throw something you know that is off the barrel that's moving away from the barrel and and it may not be the best pitch or the nastiest slider and that's probably why i have no strikeouts ever but uh you know but i as long as i know what's the situation is i can and locate the ball well i'll get that weak contact i'm looking for that's awesome all right so uh favorite teammate of all time and why at any level i have a favorite teammate let's see the they always ask me these questions when I do interviews and they're like thinking it's going to be like, like a lightning round quick thing. And I'll sit yeah. here and think about it for 35 minutes because <laughs> I want to give like an honest answer. Um, is that the lefty in you overthinking yeah, stuff? I would say for sure. Yeah. You know, I really enjoyed, uh, this is like Darren O'Day was a great teammate and we, I learned a lot from him. He really, it, he's so smart and it's just, he knows so much about so much. It was just really impressive to be around him and, and, soak up all his knowledge on off the field stuff and on the field stuff. And, uh, you know, and really that group we had, Brit, Zach Britton, Darren and Brad, I just, you know, you, I took them for granted because they were there, but now that none of them are there, it was really, it was really incredible. A threesome. It was a great combo of people, but, uh, I don't know. Favorite, favorite teammate. You know, I, one of my really good friends, Tyler Tufts, uh, who's a scout for the Padres now, we played with, we set up shop in double A for years. So we, we grinded it out yeah. there in the minors for a long time. I would say he's probably my favorite teammate. We, uh, we had some good times down there, you know, right on. you, you definitely learn a lot about each other when you're, when you're road roommates and home room, you know, we lived together at home and then we lived together on the road too. Cause you had to have a roommate and on the road, on the road trip. So we, we spent a lot of time together. All right. So, uh, and you hinted at this a little bit earlier, and this is the last one of the lightning round pitchers you like to watch, um, you know, and why my, my favorite pitcher to watch is Max Scherzer. You know, I'm, I'm jealous of his intensity, uh, how he, how he can bring that kind of intensity to the field, every single, every single pitch and every single game. Um, that, that to me is just, you know, you know, and he knows that when guys get in the box, they have no chance, you know, and Mm -hmm. that kind of, and you can see, I feel like you can just see it, you know, and obviously he has the results the year, but that was, he has been doing this for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then you look at his career numbers and it's like the guy stays healthy every single year and, and knocks out 200 innings and is in the top, you know, f- few Cy Young votes. And it, it's just, it's just an, I just think cause he does it year after year, it's taken for granted, but it's extremely impressive. And his just competitive nature is, is, is really appealing. That's awesome. All right. This is the, the last one of the day. This is the parting wisdom. So you got a bunch of probably high school, uh, college, minor league guys, uh, coaches, sports staff, you name it, listen to this. If you could impart one bit of wisdom um, on them as a, as a parting kind of uh, <laughs> answer, what would it be? I think for me it would be, you know, easy. obviously perseverance. You know, I mean, I'm like a model of perseverance here where I was – you and – and also, too, I mean, you never know what could happen. You, as long as you have an opportunity, you never know. Because for me, it was I got I was a walk on at college, and I ended up getting drafted in the sixth round. And then I got passed over multiple times for years, and then I ended up getting to the big leagues. And now, I told people this is the first time that I've ever known where I was going mm-hmm. um, out of spring training. 
where, you know, even in all the minor leagues, like they're always like, well, you know, you could get released. You could go to double A, you could go to triple A, you could stay in extended. Now it's like your health, you know, the, I got the pitching coach coming up to me like, you know, Hey, when do you want to pitch? You know, what, what do you, how many innings do you want to get this spring? What do you feel like you need to be ready for the season? Not, Hey, you need to do this to compete for a job. We need to see yeah. this out of you. It's, you know, it's your job. Just be ready for the season. It's like, well, this is pretty cool. So, you know, it, 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 it but it hasn't always been like that. And, and, it, you know, I mean, I went through a lot of things. I was working in the off season job, you know, working off season jobs, doing maintenance repair on yachts, <laughs> Sunseeker yachts. Got to throw that <laughs> out there. Like, you know, doing like painting boats and stuff in the yeah. full. So anyways, and, and I just, you know, you're just looking and you see, it's like, you know, the big leagues, what I'm just trying to, get to triple a and uh and now it now i'm here and and you know i was even when i got to the big leagues like oh that's awesome i got my one day in the big leagues it just made everything worth it now i'm right around the corner from arbitration yeah and it's like you know things that i just thought were never would never happen honestly uh and um you know here here i am so it's definitely perseverance and and uh and, and, and as long as there's an opportunity, you, you gotta, you gotta see it through. That's awesome, man. Well, you, you become quickly a very, very popular guy around the facility. Um, <laughs> not just with our, with our, you know, staff, but also with the other athletes. I think you might be my wife's favorite professional baseball player, just because oh, the awesome. amount of time you guys spent hanging out in the office, chatting <laughs> yeah, before yeah. and after lifts. So, um, I'm glad that all the listeners got a chance to, you know, hear a little bit about your, your journey yeah, thanks and, for and having your success. Me. So, um, people can find you at Richard Blyer on Instagram. Um, yeah. it's, it's some of the best self-deprecating humor on the internet i would say um <laughs> you're you're a rock star with that um again thanks. thank you so much for coming on and uh really looking forward to seeing you do your thing this season yeah thanks man appreciate it thanks All for right. having me you got it thank you for joining us for another episode of the csp elite baseball development podcast if you enjoyed this episode we'd be thrilled if you'd consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review to read on itunes we welcome your suggestions for future guests and questions. Just email EliteBaseballPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for your continued support, and we'll see you next episode.